0: Welcome to the Men's Divorce Podcast, brought to you by mensdivorce.com. I'm your host, Dan Pierce, online editor at mensdivorce.com, and I am joined by...
1: Scott Trout, Managing Partner CEO of Cordell & Cordell. And you're joined by... I have two guests today, uh, Christina Strait and Tom Mueller. Christina, tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Uh, Thank you for inviting me. Uh, My name is Christina Strait. I am the broker-owner of Strait Realty here in uh, St. Louis, town and country.
3: And Tom? And I'm Tom Mueller, Vice President of Mortgage Lending for Central Bank of St. Louis.
0: Well, on today's show, we're discussing the marital home. So many people, when they get divorced, have to sort through so many aspects of the legal side of things that the house being one of the major assets that you own kind of gets thrust into the forefront. For listeners that don't know, how Can moving out of the house impact your divorce case from the legal perspective it's got to be it's got to be a big deal
1: yeah i mean there are a number of things that affect kids if you have them if you don't have kids and then ultimately why we're joined with uh, a real estate expert and a mortgage expert is it talks about the disposition of that asset and so from what i always tell guys we do this seminar around the country in the evening you know we have a hundred guys there and we talk a lot the very first topic we we talk or discuss is moving out and what effect does it have? And so we have guys all over the spectrum, whether they have kids, they have no kids, they've moved out or they haven't moved out. But generally, I always tell guys, don't move out of the house because there are so many ramifications and I make the recommendations that, look, every decision that you make in family law, there's a consequence, whether you believe it or not, whether you see it or not, there is an absolute consequence. And so maybe to start out our discussion today, it makes sense to just kind of go through quickly So moving out when you have no kids, the ramifications, not just about the ownership of the property, but really what I always say is be prepared for double household expenses. And by that, I mean, uh, typically your spouse's attorney is going to tell her that don't pay anything, don't pay the mortgage, don't pay the utilities, uh, don't pay anything, let him pay it, even if he's not the breadwinner. And so typically uh, what we see in, in the 20, whatever five years I've been doing this, is that guys wind up, Uh, paying it all. And it's a a terrible situation because his choice is lose the biggest asset that they have. Uh, It goes into foreclosure, and I've seen it before. Uh, It forces him into bankruptcy. Their credit's ruined. Or uh, you fall on the sword, you become the martyr, and you go ahead and pay the bills. I mean, it's a hard thing to swallow, especially if you've already made the decision to move out. And then that's why I always recommend to guys to stay in the house. And I mean, imagine that scenario. Uh, You've chosen to move out because you just can't live together and you know and there's nothing to keep you together no there's no kids but then she's living in your home with her boyfriend and you're living in a one-bedroom apartment with no furniture other than a blow-up mattress because you didn't have time to get anything and you can't afford anything because you're paying everything uh, it's a terrible situation uh, especially what guys face when they make that decision of you know now if there's violence yeah of course you move out uh, but then you know you're also faced with the issue of ownership uh, It's always often difficult when guys move out at the end of the case, six to eight months down the road, and the judge, you know, the client will say, I want the house. And the judge looks at them and says, well, then why'd you move out? And, you know, it's a practical statement. It has nothing to do with the law. Uh, But those are, again, decisions and actions that go together in family law. Everything, it's, you know, it's action, reaction in everything that you do. And then when you have kids, obviously it impacts custody. And it gets away more from, some of the property ownership, although that's still in play, but when you have custody, uh, she's more in control. I always reference it as uh, she's driving the bus, meaning that you're just a passenger when you move out. And you know, who knows where that bus is going? And meaning that you're only gonna get the kind of custody that, that uh, she wants, whether you have an agreement or not. And so that decision to move out impacts everything. And there's so many consequences, especially when she becomes very comfortable In the house, you've been out for perhaps a year. I mean, there's some jurisdictions throughout the country where we have offices, uh, you know, North Carolina and Pennsylvania, uh, where the the matter takes up to a year. And so uh, imagine, you know, we're going to talk a little bit later, and I have some questions for both of our guests about what I call the uncooperative spouse. And how do you deal with that? I mean, it's very difficult uh, to deal with someone who's living in your home and who's not paying your bills and you want to go sell or try to sell the house either before, during, or after the divorce. And and there are all kinds of things that happen when you move out. Mm-hmm. And I think from practically, when I've looked at my career and the clients and the thousands of clients that, that I've seen, is the cooperation level goes way down when you move out and she becomes far more comfortable because then she's not incentivized. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is zero incentivization for her to cooperate in any way because she practically doesn't care anymore. I mean, her credit, so what? It almost becomes vindictive. And so... Again, this is probably why I start every seminar, whether it's online or in person. We always talk about moving out because it is the hottest topic when it comes to divorce aside of custody. Again, taking kids out of the, uh, out of the mix here. Property is huge. There are just so many problems that come across uh, our desk relating to the choice to move out. So ultimately, it doesn't solve all your problems, uh, but I always recommend staying in the house because it seems to minimize the problem. I mean, you're still going to have an uncooperative spouse, but- what better position are you in than to try to make her cooperate when she's miserable? You know, I can, you know, my guys can make uh, their life a little bit more uncomfortable because she doesn't want you there. You don't want her there. And so if you're both there together, your common goal is to get each other away. And so uh, when you're not there um, and you're paying the bills, it's, it's like winning the lottery. So that's why I think uh, moving out of the house is something that you really should uh, have a conversation with your attorney. And it's not too late if you have moved out. Uh, you can certainly, we've had a number of cases where we've put together a strategy to move back in the house and kind of gain some control. Uh, oftentimes the the biggest stressor in divorce is feeling out of control and not knowing where the path leads you. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's a big, big thing for me. And, and I think that's something that guys uh, need to have a conversation with with their attorney. Absolutely. So.
0: as a significant asset, you know, the house and everything. What are some of the financial ramifications of selling the house?
1: Yeah, so I mean, maybe the best way for me to say, in terms of before, during, after, we were talking a little bit beforehand, Christina okay. and Tom and I, when we were talking about um, selling the house. Maybe it, it's for me. It's what's the best way to save some money? And then one of the reasons I invited Christina was because she has a unique uh, uh, business model that talks about with divorce. I mean, the clients I see, they have no equity. Oh, they have so very little equity, and and I know these guys, uh, Tom and Christina, have seen it. They're upside down, and so the last thing they need is to incur more expense to try to come to the table with more money. So maybe the best thing for Christina, as I have a question, is tell me about your business model and how, why I think it's unique for clients and ways that they can try to save money in selling, and we'll talk a little bit about when to sell, but in selling. So tell us a little bit about that.
2: Sure. Sure. Um... I list properties for a total of 4%, and that is at closing. There's no other admin fees or processing fees. And when you're talking about a situation such as divorce and if there is any equity at all, if there is, that money is usually split, however, between the wife and and the husband. Uh, That equity that you've built really starts to come into play. And when you're able to save money, Uh, By listing a property and selling a property, sometimes you save up to 3%, and that's a lot of money. On a $300,000 home, you're talking about a savings of $9,000 in commission, and that $9,000... could be used for other things obviously the settlement of the divorce trying to find a place to live to rent uh, to purchase if you're able to or to put into a fund for your children I mean there's so many different things that you can use that money for and that's where we really shine by saving our clients um, a considerable amount of money but not only the savings uh, aspect of straight realty we just have the experience to just listening to you and talking about some of your clients that that are going through a divorce or are divorced and they, they have this asset that they need to sell. We run across it all the time. Um, statistically, I, I don't even know what the stats are, how many people end up getting divorced. That affects everything um, with with society and there's a great many people that are divorcing now that need to sell their house. So we come across that a a great deal of our clients are in that process. So we have a lot of experience with dealing with both the husband and the wife and the sales side and then also the purchase side um, a little further down. So yes, it's um, getting back to what you were saying about the the husband not leaving the house mm-hmm. that is so important, and we can go into reasons why, other than what you spoke of, just from a realtor's perspective, why it's so important. Um, but yes, the four percent does does right. save them a lot of money,
1: so I assume, in your you know, representation of clients, you've had divorce clients
2: without a doubt, i I can think of twelve that I have right now. Mm-hmm.
1: and how oftentimes are is it oftentimes difficult to deal with a spouse who won't cooperate? I mean, I assume, You've ran run into somewhere one spouse is in the house and one's not.
2: Yes, we have. Um We've kind of honed down our systems and processes when it comes to divorce clients. We have a special set of rules that we use to deal with them. Um, We never see them as two people. We see them as one seller entity. So it is so important to have both the husband and the wife on board. And if the husband is not living there, then we encourage them to at least be there a lot because you have buyers looking at the house. You have entry issues. You have repair issues there's so many things that that the husband being at the home can help and yes we have had both husbands and wives be the spouse that is very difficult but I have found that as the realtor if if you have a strong firm realtor who's knowledgeable on the process sometimes that spouse that is aggrieved or angry, just needs to talk to somebody. And they need to feel like they have an advocate. Even though you're saying you represent both the husband and the wife, you're kind of the middle person. Mm -hmm. And you can mediate it. And they're a little bit more open to speaking to you as opposed to speaking to the attorney. Um, They feel like they have an advocate. So if you kind of ground them and say, we have a common goal, we have a common purpose. If you want to move on from this guy, this is how you do it. Let's get it done. So having someone steer the ship is very important, and oftentimes the realtor or the mortgage person is, is that person.
1: Any tip for guys um, when it, you know, when dealing happen- with with mm-hmm.
2: women, yeah. uh, wives, or uncooperative? <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot, but yeah. <laughs> in terms of this particular issue, yeah. I would yeah. say um, try to be as cooperative as possible. Um, volunteer things. D- if you're just a kind word, will go so far. Um, I, I had a couple one time where, where the wife, I was sitting with the husband and the wife, and the wife was just berating him at the table the whole time during the listening presentation. And I finally had to say, you know what, um, I'm kind of tired of you speaking this way. You know, he is also a seller, and he, he needs some respect. And once I pointed it out to her that way, and then his language Change towards her as well. It was a softer tone. It was more of a cooperative tone. Um, whatever happened outside of the sale of the home, that ha- that has to stay outside of the home. It's hard to to separate it, but you you really have to just be kind to your wife and volunteer. Don't be difficult volunteer for things. If I say that a client, uh, an agent wants to view your property at one mm-hmm. and the wife is busy with the kids, then the husband should be the first one to step up and show initiative and, and try to make it happen. Uh, that, that would be my first mm-hmm. thing to say, just be kind.
1: And there's so much crossover. That's why I wanted you both here, both from a mortgage perspective and from like a listing selling perspective, mm-hmm. because there, I think you each bring something different You know, maybe one deals with the emotions, and the other one deals more with strategy about when. Tom and I were just talking earlier about when's the right time. You know, in terms of, I had a client yesterday call me, and said, "Hey, I've got to list my house. I'm gonna sell it, and I want to buy another one because I want to live in the neighborhood, and my wife doesn't. And you know, what's the right timing? And I know that's huge, I guess, from a mortgage perspective. And I know you see it all. And so maybe the you know the whole point today is to try to give some guys some walkaways and what do you think you know hearing Christina deal with the emotional side of trying to be you know gentler and you know get cooperation what do you think um, when you talk about the house what's the, the greatest tips that you can kind of see and maybe timing perspective
3: um, as far as the sale of the house I, I think I'm it, it, the whole situation is emotional I don't think from having dealt with this numerous times I don't think the emotions in it for the client, you know. let's specifically talk about the husband, I don't, I don't think that they ever end. It's an emotional process. Mm-hmm. And you know it better than I do. Uh, you deal with it every day. Um, Christina is really the expert, uh, the real estate agent, in terms of, of really counseling uh, on whether or not it's right to sell mm-hmm. or stay or sell and buy or sell and rent. Um, From a value perspective,
1: meaning? Definitely
3: from a value perspective. Mm -hmm. um, You know, obviously if they have a mortgage, you know, she's gonna be able to uh, analyze what the comparable home sales are, the condition of the current home and what it might be able to fetch on the market. Right. Um, You know, and and what their walkaway money is going to be. You know, where I come into play is really, they decided that they're either staying, they're not selling the house. And now, you know, they're gonna be living there, the exes going to go somewhere else. And so now they're in a position where they need to refinance mm-hmm. their X off of the mortgage. Obviously, the the courts are going to mandate that, but that needs to be done um, because that X needs to be off the note. They need mm-hmm. to remove that obligation from somebody that's no longer living there. Um, Timing-wise, I want to get to that. Um, there's really three phases when you look at this. There's the before filing phase. There's the Something's been filed, whether it be a separation or a dissolution of marriage uh, petition, and then there's once the dust settles when, you know, you've got a a court-stamped dissolution. Um, In my opinion, having dealt with clients in all phases, the best time is beforehand. Mm -hmm. They're in a situation where credit hasn't been trashed. There's no um, extra debts. You know, they don't have a, a child support, alimony, or maintenance obligation, even though that's being discussed, there's been nothing filed. So there's no obligation that's there. So I think that's a, a, a it's a great time to be able to explore those opportunities and to start doing something about it because quite frankly, if the, the husband decides that he wants to go out and buy another house and if the ex is gonna remain in the, in the current home or if they sell it, but if he's gonna buy a new place, it's a simple matter of he qualifies on his own um, Credit hasn't hopefully been impacted at this point in time. They've just started the divorce process and uh, he has no additional debt obligations like you might have post-divorce. All he needs is a marital waiver from who is legally Mm -hmm. his current spouse. So uh, I would, in most cases, from experience that that wife does not want to sign on to a new Mm -hmm. debt. So she's happy to sign that marital waiver. So, uh, but I think that it, it gets messy when you try to do something Once a separation has been filed or once a petition for dissolution has been filed, then all lenders know that there's going to be a debt obligation somewhere in there, and that muddies the waters completely.
1: So then, you know, let's talk about post-divorce, order to sell the home. I mean, I guess complications in terms of qualification because you have spousal support, child support orders. Right, And it affects their, their credit score, not the credit score, but whatever uh, score that they need to achieve a good rate, I assume. Debt to income ratio. Yeah. I mean, they, they have additional debt. So, I mean, I guess the, the, the walk away is do what you can before it's filed. Try to get things resolved if you can. Sell it beforehand or whatever it may be. I mean, it's, it's the fastest it, it, way to it, do it.
3: It's easier then. I mean, there's just less complicating factors. Once, or, or I should say before something's been filed. There's mm-hmm. just l- less to complicate things. I understand it's a negotiation process of divorces. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, uh, you, you need to make sure that whatever actions that the the client takes to purchase a home or stay in the home, um, if there's a mortgage involved, that that doesn't complicate or, or put them in a bad position when it comes to negotiating uh, a settlement with their soon-to-be ex. But from a pure... Let's get this mortgage transaction done on whatever they want to do, whether it be refinance the existing home that they plan to live in, or whether it be take out a mortgage to purchase a, a, a new home that they plan to live in. It's much cleaner and easier to deal with it pre-filing than right. post-filing, or even you know, once the dust has settled, and the dissolution is uh, is in place.
1: So it's funny. I, I think when I think of buying a home, selling a home, and then getting a loan, I tend to think of them as individual. You know transactions or individual relationships but in reality do you find you and Christina uh, it's important to have kind of a a relationship between the two of you where you kind of know what one needs what the other does I mean is that something important that that guys when they're looking for say someone to list their home or buy their home and get a mortgage is that something that is important
3: well I've worked with Christina for, I think, 13 years now, and so I always think it's important regardless of whether a divorce is in play or not, but I think especially when a divorce is, is in play, um, that's a, a big-time complicating factor, and like we discussed earlier, there's a lot of emotion involved, and I think it's nice when you've got a, a realtor and a mortgage lender that know each other and work well with one another, absolutely for sure, because they're dealing with a, an emotionally fragile person. That's mm-hmm. going through a, a very stressful situation. I, I think it's great that 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 uh, team of partners, if you will, for the attorney is also somebody that attorney knows and trusts. Uh, I don't think you should just send a customer packing to uh, you know s- go to whatever bank you've you've got and and uh, tell me want a mortgage. Right, right. I think you know you're steering the customer to do what's in their best interest. I think it's nice to have some advocates for that client that are looking out for the client's best interest and somebody you know and have experience with.
2: Well, and too, in my experience when I have a client that is in this um, situation, having Tom on board and we go in as a team and we advise and we instruct and we say, here is where you'll be, maybe you might not be able to purchase right away, but if you do this, this, and this, you'll be able to purchase in a year, it kind of gives that client a little bit of hope. Mm-hmm. They kind of have direction now. They know where they're going. Um, just because they might be executives at a company or really good at what they do, they might not understand the ins and outs of real estate and mortgages. And when they're going through this divorce, is very scary. They don't know what their next step is. But if they have direction and a light at the end of the tunnel, it can make the process kind of smoother they can focus on the bigger picture instead of the little stuff that is bothering them that they're hung up on Uh, and it kind of can help them move past and and get through it both the the wife and the husband so that's why it's really important whenever I am interviewing a seller I am always having the conversation of the next step where are you buying it can you if you can't afford a to purchase the property right away for whatever reason. Uh, Let's help you get short-term housing. Do you want to stay in the school district where your kids are attending? Uh, All those things. Mm -hmm. And then I'm I'm making that introduction with Tom. So two, three years down the road, when their life is a little simpler, they can move on. They can purchase here or they can purchase out-of-state wherever they're going to go. But it is so important to have that team.
0: Mm -hmm. You both mentioned this uh, from a perspective of addressing it before filing. What are some of the consequences for people who, from both like a property perspective and a mortgage perspective, for people that wait, that sit on their hands and kind of address it uh, after the fact during further down the line in the process?
3: The two biggest things I see, and and Scott, I'll ask you the question really quick. How long is it typical that the decree provides for let's say the, the X? Right. maintains the previous marital residence, how long do they have to refinance typically So to take the, the husband off? Yeah, the typically
1: note? when you see it, uh, an attorney who is uh, wanting their client's name removed from the obligation, 90 to 180 days max. You just don't want to go that far out because you want to have some uh, resolution and, and minimize the exposure of a default. I mean because after that divorce you know it's out of your control and you're just hoping that they continue to make those payments. So I would see 90 to 180 days from the date that that decree is entered is the max that I would ever want my client to to do.
3: I I was asking to see what what you recommended or what you've seen from experience but I've seen clients that I've had that attempted post divorce to purchase a home and in looking at their situation and pulling up their credit report, have seen that vindictiveness that you spoke about, Scott, mm-hmm. where the uh, the ex, you know, maintained the residence and and quite frankly let a 30 day late occur mm-hmm. because she didn't care, you know, she's already in the house yeah. and she was simply being vindictive and just wanted to get back at her her ex husband and now he's screwed because now he's got a 30 day mortgage late and he's going to try to buy a house. Right. It's all, he's still on the note. He's still yep. legally obligated that that divorce decree does not undo a debt obligation from a creditor like a wells fargo or bank of america or whoever you know that borrower those borrowers that sign that note are still on the hook regardless of what yeah. the divorce decree says so what i've seen oftentimes post-divorce is that you've got a vindictive spouse who you know kind of sticks it to their ex by not paying the bills on time and that can happen not just on a mortgage but also on other debts and a lot of times those other debts are overlooked. And what I mean by other debts is simple things like credit card accounts. Perhaps you had a simple little, you know, a Kohl's card or a Best Buy card or something that at the time the divorce didn't even have a balance and hadn't been used, but it was an open account. Then the ex goes out and spends $500 on it, doesn't pay the bill. And now you've got a 30 day, 60 day, 90 day late. That's really messing up things for the, the husband that's now mm-hmm. trying to buy a home.
1: And that actually raises a good question for guys when they're thinking about, Refinancing or buying. So, what does it take to ruin the credit, you know, to put them into that next level? Is it just one 30 day late? Is it? I mean, I know every lender is different, but in your experience, kind of, what is that line of demarcation for guys in terms of understanding what's going to really put them in a different interest rate level, you know, because maybe their credit score goes down? What kind of an experience you see?
3: Well, anymore, uh, things are a little bit more homogenous than you might think. Mm-hmm. Uh, ever since the, a lot of the reforms that have occurred, you know, post. Uh, recession, uh, you know, starting around 2009, 2010, when Dodd-Frank came about, mm-hmm. uh, that's when a lot of mortgage industry reform, uh, ha- you know, ha- has come to fruition. And so what we've seen is is there's a lot more standardization in, in terms of credit situations. For example, getting a conventional loan, if you've had a 30-day late in the last 12 months, you can pretty much, you know, kiss that goodbye. You're not uh-huh. going to get a conventional loan, depending on, the entire scenario of the borrower, mm-hmm. you might be able to get or probably would be able to get an FHA loan. But when you start piling on layers of, of risk you know, from a lender's perspective with a 30-day mortgage late here and a 30- and 60-day credit report late there and another one, um, you, you might find yourself in a position of having to wait not being able to act. You're not going to get a loan, period.
1: Inter- that's really interesting. I didn't realize it was that restrictive in terms of the 30 days. And then Christina raises a good point that I was thinking about, which we at Cordon and Cordell talk a lot about to guys, and that is planning. Mm-hmm. And and I never really thought about it until Christina just mentioned it, was talking about where you're going to live and the next steps. And some of the things perhaps guys easily overlook is especially when they're in a custody battle. Uh, they're you know, they one house, and they're not even thinking about where am I going to live and what can I do? And so I think you raise a good point, Christina, about perhaps a good walkaway for guys here today is, yeah, you need to meet with your lawyer. You need to start pre- uh, planning, but perhaps if you don't want the house and you want to sell it or get off of the note, just go to a realtor and, and find out some information about what you can afford and then work with a, a, someone else in the mortgage industry.
2: Yeah, that is very important. And you're right, most of them don't think that through. Mm -hmm. They're just thinking of the day that they're in or tomorrow Mm -hmm. and not the next step. Um, But it complicates things when you have children. the mother often and the father too they don't want to uproot their children they they love their children they want to make this as smooth as possible and they want the father to be in their lives hopefully and if that's the case and if they're not occupying the primary residence then they do have to find housing if they can't afford through tom for whatever reason debt to income um, all all those different reasons maybe credit issues if they can't afford to purchase a condo or another house then their next option would be housing uh, a short-term housing like an apartment or a lease-to-own option, all of those are on the table and they're not very hard to get. You just need to have a professional to help you guide them mm-hmm. through that. Um, I would say when you were speaking of what are the hazards of doing all this post-divorce um, or in the process of the divorce and selling a house, mm-hmm. number one, when I, I know when I have buyers and we're looking at homes you can kind of get a feel of a property. The moment you walk in, you you know that there's something going on, either a death or divorce. And buyers look through closets. And if they see that there are no male shirts or socks in the drawer, they they look and they automatically think, oh my gosh, this is a divorce situation, they must be desperate. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna go in and we're gonna offer a lower price because they probably have some court order that they need to sell. So it is so important, if at all possible, if the husband is moving out of the house, like I said earlier, he should have some sort of presence there, clothes, he's around, you see him mow, um, because buyers will check that. They'll drive through the the area and check to see if the lawn is maintained. If you wait, and let's say you stay in the home, the longer you wait, I would think, the more angry you become, the more stress there is, because you really can't stand each other, that's why you're getting a divorce in the first place. You're not going to take care of the home. The wife isn't going to clean. You're not going to do the things that you need to do for prospective buyers. You're just going to say, oh, I don't care. I'm mad at her anyway. You know, I just wanted the house. Or she's going to say the same thing. If you have two people with a common goal of selling the house, it'll sell quicker for a higher value. If you move out or if you act like you're not there, you will get a lower value and your property will take longer to sell.
1: It's an interesting perspective, at least from, gosh, when I first started practicing law in family law, it just seemed just go hire a lawyer. They'll take care of business and then shuffle them on and they can deal with selling the house. And now it really almost, it's a team approach. Mm-hmm. You got to get a bunch of people involved early on. Yeah. And I mean, that's a really good, and that's why I thought having you both here would provide some interesting perspective. And for me, and you know, kind I'm smiling as you were talking about walking through a home and noticing, because I'm always aware of that. And I'm always looking to see, uh, is this a divorce situation? Um, and and I guess it is. It, you know, being a strong buyer and you're going to lowball them on 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 a price. So it's a good tip and a thought um, of what to do and what next steps to take when you're trying to think about selling the house. But if, again, if you can't get cooperation, you have an uncooperative spouse. That's when again the team approach: getting your lawyer involved, working together with an agent, working together with a mortgage professional. And I think that's good advice. Uh,
0: in terms of going about it and refinancing for your home and such. Uh, how would one, wh- what are some of the steps that people would have to take to qualify for a refinance? Uh,
3: basically, it's the same as a home purchase. Yeah, a mortgage lender is going to take a look at, uh, hopefully, there's some equity in the home. And oftentimes, in a divorce, that equity is being split. And that's where traditional guidelines, conventional loans, you can only get 80% of the home's value on a refinance. So if there's say 40% equity in the home, um, you know, you wanna split that equity 50-50 and you're fortunate in that case, if you've got 40% equity, because you can go up to an 80% loan to value, which means that extra 20 that the ex is gonna be getting or whoever's moving out of the house is there. But that's not always the case as Christina said, oftentimes people don't even have 20% equity. So then what do you do if you've got say 15% equity? So each party gets seven and a half percent. It's easy for the person staying there, they've got the equity, they're, they're keeping the house. But when you're, over, when you're already at 15, 15% equity and you can't refinance to pull any more money out, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Um, the nice thing about banks, I work for a bank, I've worked for pure mortgage companies before, that would be like your mortgage bankers and brokers. Um, you know, every town's got them. Uh, those folks usually don't have access to do things like home equity loans and home equity lines of credit. Uh, most banks and credit unions do. Uh, these days, they're they're harder to get than they used to be 10, 15 years ago. Uh, my bank will go up to ninety five percent combined loan to value. So, in other words, taking the first mortgage and a second mortgage in, in, into account, uh, we can loan out up to ninety five percent of the home's value. So, in the scenario I just laid out, we could get uh, a, a, we could get that extra seven and a half percent that the X was owed. Whoever's moving out of the out of the home. Um, but that's not the case with all lenders. But um, besides the equity equation, which obviously is a big one, um, there's the qualification uh, point of view. And, and it, again, it's, it really goes the same for a home purchase. What you've got is it's easier before anything's been filed than afterwards because you don't have the additional debt obligations of alimony, child support, or maintenance. Um, so it, it's much easier to do in the very beginning if you can. Uh, the, the things that come into play are debt-to-income ratio and credit scores. Early rather than post-divorce, your credit's probably great. Uh, afterwards, who knows what could happen? The ex could screw things up.
1: Absolutely. Does the child support and alimony? I mean, uh, that'll lower the score, or is it? Be, or is it no, test, just n- decoration. It's
3: just a it's just a debt. Okay. So it doesn't affect credit in any way. Uh, it's just a debt,
2: unless you don't pay it. <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah, That's true. <laughs> oh, now right. no, that's and a yeah, good point and everything else so. yeah. now, I
3: don't th- this sometimes you know a lot of times uh, stereotypically males are the primary breadwinners but not always mm-hmm. and so I've had plenty of customers in the past where they were uh, men that were on the receiving side of alimony or maintenance or child support uh, interestingly there you can't use that until you've received it for 12 months why? We've all heard the term deadbeat dads. Well, mm-hmm. there's deadbeat dads, there's deadbeat moms. Just because the court orders something doesn't mean it gets paid. Mm-hmm. The mortgage industry knows that. So even though the court order might be for you to receive $2,000 a month in maintenance and child support, until lenders see a 12-month history of that being received,
1: it doesn't count. Wow. So it's used against you immediately, but not for you until 12 months. I mean, Correct. Right. Wow. Didn't know that.
0: For guys at home, uh, and this kind of a question to you, Scott, um if people are addressing the the mortgage stuff like ahead of time and stuff will the courts factor that into you know alimony spousal support child support and all of these different types of fees that they'll have to pay yeah
1: state by state i know that missouri for example uh, one of the factors the very first factor in the statute when it relates to spousal support is that the court must consider uh, the payor's expenses Mm -hmm. first and foremost in determining his or her ability to pay And so it does come into play. And that's why I think being this team approach, being very proactive, uh, gone are the years in which you just file the petition, hurry to court, and then let it play out. And now we're more of, and we have been for the last, gosh, 15 years, trying to profess to guys everywhere we go, is that planning before acting is so important. And that incorporates a number of different people, not just your lawyer. But incorporates the professionals that it relates to selling your home and getting the loan, and maybe talking about values of your home because no one really knows. I mean, we all think our homes worth ten million dollars because either we've done something really cool to it. Uh, but then getting a real understanding of what is your home value, and and that affects a lot of things. It affects your ability to pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you can cash out, refinance, whatever it may be. So I mean, especially now in this market, I know St. Louis real estate market's really good, mm-hmm. yeah. and so better time housing values up.
2: Yes, they're up over this year, I'd say approximately 3.5% in value across the board.
1: That's good. I mean, bad when you're trying to keep the house and having to pay out of the equity. Good when you're trying to let her take the house and and get it. But again, that's my point is planning is everything. It's okay when you have to file. And there is some, we talk a lot about it in our webinar and in our evening seminars about timing, filing first. But, you know, the greatest recommendations I can ever give is always getting good advice, not just from attorneys, but from people like who we have today. Uh, Always related to having a doctor. If you've got cancer and you know it, we're so proactive when it comes to medical conditions. And, you know, if we even feel a symptom, we're going right to Google to try to figure it out. Mm -hmm. But family law becomes so emotional that guys tend to forget that and they just react. And so... I can't profess enough. Every time I'm doing you know, a podcast or a webinar or a live seminar, I talk about planning, planning, and planning and, and getting as much information as you can. And I think that's why it's good for me. I learn something in every podcast or every webinar from people that I don't know much about real estate and mortgage lending. I'm panicking over here with a 30-day late comment that you made, just one. <laughs> you know. Now I'm going to go back and make sure I have auto pay and all my debts <laughs> and stop relying on myself to pay. And on the same time, I... You know, you probably got a little sweat from uh, my brow when you said that, so.
0: Forgot to return a Blockbuster uh, VHS <laughs> tape in 1995,
1: <laughs> didn't you? <laughs> I mean, I've got a ding, and a late fee on there. Now I'm really worried, so. Uh, but yeah, that's so I think for me and, and for our firm, it's planning is everything, and working with a professional a team of people at the very get-go, it's, it's the right approach. So when you're looking for a law firm, I think that's important, too, is find someone who has the same values and same plan, and that is to incorporate other individuals to kind of think about the things that you don't want to think about or you've not thought about.
0: Kind of wrapping everything up, what would you guys say is your final thoughts in terms of what guys can do to better prepare themselves for sorting out their marital home?
2: Well, I would say buying and selling a home on a normal circumstance is very stressful. It's one of the most stressful things that someone could go through. And you add to that the split of your marriage. Nobody intended to get divorced the day they got married, but it's happening. So you have a lot of emotions. You have a lot of moving parts. It's it's very stressful. Um, I would say having a realtor who is strong, who is full time and knows what they're doing to help you navigate those landmines of emotion, because there will be so many. Uh, The day you move out of your house, you will cry. You have so many memories there. Your kids were born there. You know, there was your first house with your wife that you probably still a little bit love, and you might not admit it, but you kind of do. And there's so many emotions. But above all, I would say Earlier when I told Scott that I would advise men to be kind, I would advise that throughout this whole process because whatever you're feeling, your spouse or soon-to-be ex-spouse is feeling the same, and it complicates things when, like you said, to react first that that's not good be kind in your words be proactive be cooperative almost be different than what you have been leading up to this divorce just to get through it and realizing it is it will be stressful if you have to vent vent to a private third-party person that has your back do not do it in front of your kids or your wife Mm -hmm. it will not help
1: there's a good question that when you were talking came to mind was how many clients excuse me do you have christina where the house is ready to go to market, as is, for sale.
2: Very rarely do yeah. I have that. Right. We are constantly walking in and advising what to do, change yeah. the carpet paint, and even more so with divorce because… Mm-hmm. We,
1: Declutter, do something else, fix this.
2: Declutter, maintenance of the yard, mm-hmm. uh, the roof, the basement, everything. Everything that I would advise any normal client that's not going through a divorce, I would advise for the divorce as well. Right.
1: Because so. you're on the clock. We were talking about the ninety day rule or the hundred and eighty day yeah. rule. They they wait till the divorce is over and they've got you know, you make all kinds of recommendations, you're eating into that time of listing to try to either get it sold or whatever it may be. So Absolutely. again, the team approach of being proactive. Maybe you never list it. Who knows? But at least know what you need to do to it mm-hmm. uh, contact someone. So Tom, what do you think?
3: You know, it, it's interesting. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna bash some of the people <laughs> that are that are so-called trusted advisors here because the best advice that I can give to any client is thoroughly vet the people that you hire to give you advice. Mm-hmm. And and obviously, when you're going through divorce, that starts with an attorney. But again, I've seen so many clients that I've dealt with over the years that have hired divorce attorneys that didn't give great advice, that didn't give complete advice, that that left things open, that left them open for you know uh, a refinance uh, of the previous residence that they occupied and two years later nothing's been done and, and nothing's been filed against their ex to get that done and and now the credit damage has occurred so um you know thoroughly vet out for clients thoroughly vet out who you're using as your trusted advisor starting with the attorney and and i would make a strong recommendation to all divorce attorneys to also have a trusted real estate agent and a trusted mortgage professional because you need people that you can send your clients to Mm -hmm. that that provide the service that your clients deserve and provide the the trust that you can put in them to to work with your clients to make you look good too in the service that you're providing to your clients Um, and the last thing i would say is that inevitably in this emotional situation which is divorce people want to delay things as much as they can. They don't want to, it's, it's the divorce itself is so much of a, of a burden and, and a stressor for them that they, they think, well, I know what I want to do in terms of after the divorce, you know, I'm going to buy another house or I'm going to rent. But I would say set the wheels in motion sooner than later, because like we have already talked about, um, waiting can have adverse consequences and, and hardly does waiting ever have any good consequences. Right. So, once you have sought your advice and gotten sound advice, and once you as a client have have thought through that advice and, and decide to take a plan of action, act sooner than later.
1: Yeah. So I know we're at the end, so I thought I'll give our guests a chance to plug in. We're, if people have questions, you know, a follow-up, um, outside of the law realm, how can they find you on the web? How can they get in touch with each of you? Just go ahead and tell them.
2: Sure. My website is straightrealty.com or uh, whypaymorethan4.com. Why pay more than four.com. Our phone number is area code 314 441 4444. See what we did there? All the mm-hmm. fours 314 441 4444. You can call me or email me anytime. I'd be happy to discuss.
3: Um, our company's website, Central Bank's a, a large company in four states. Um, our, our website is centralbank.net. But if you want to find me, the easiest way would be either by email or by phone. Uh, email is tom.muller, and that's T-O-M at centralbank.net or you can reach me at 314-219-0440.
0: Well, thank you guys all so much for joining us today. Uh, make sure to check out more at cordellandcordell.com, mensdivorce.com, dadsdivorce.com and also make sure to pick up the Men's Divorce Source app now available at the App Store. I'm Dan Pierce, online editor at mensdivorce.com. I thank you all for listening and have a great day, everyone.